Hello and welcome, esteemed gamers, friends, listeners. It is Leighton here from Leighton Night with Brian Wecht, and I just wanted to tell you that if you're looking to get even more podcast goodness to put in your face, then we've got just the thing for you, which is the official Leighton Night Patreon. We have several tiers where you can get access to recommendation lists for every episode, listen to Patreon-exclusive minisodes, get into the super awesome fan Discord, and watch videos like Brian's songwriting process for jingles on the show, or me taking apart and cleaning my mechanical keyboards. It's really fun and cool, and we super appreciate your support. It's neat. We would love to see you there. Without any further ado, here's the episode. Enjoy. Love you. Bye. It is so nice working with a professional such as yourself, Miles. <laughs> that implies that everyone else are not professionals. That's a little sus, Brian. Well, not everybody is a voiceover person, Layton. Right? <laughs> I mean, not, 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 not they're not professionals in their fields. And thank you for using my actual term. I do prefer going by voiceover person. Yeah. I appreciate you using that. <laughs> well, of course. It's the preferred nomenclature. <laughs> Dude, it is so nice to hear your voice again. It's been like years. Actual, factual, literal years. I know. I was thinking about that today. I was like, gosh, okay, when did Brian and I first meet? And I think it was in MCM London. Carrie and I, Yes, it was our first time in London. That's right. Uh, I want to say it was like 2014, if I had to guess. That sounds right. Yep. I think dinner with you that night was the highlight, one of the highlights of the trip. Um, did you ever hear about what happened to me the next day? I did. <laughs> I totally forgot. Okay. So all I remember from this story is that some horrible shit happened to you and I cannot remember the specifics. So let's set the scene just a little bit for this. Yes. Okay. So MCM London is this big, you know, fan expo in London. And this one I think it was just through Twitter, right? That I think I tweeted you or DM'd you or something, or maybe the other way around. Yeah, that sounds right. Because I knew Rooster Teeth was going to be there. And I think we'd been Twitter friends for a little bit. And I was like, hey, you're going to be there. Let me come say hi. Yeah, I remember Carrie and I were super stoked. We were big Starbomb fans and... We were really excited. We're like, oh, heck yeah, it's Ninja Brian. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we had a good time. I think we went out, we grabbed drinks with you that evening, had a lovely time. And then immediately after that, we were needed at uh, like a business dinner thing with some partners that we were working with at the time. And it was this really awesome Indian food restaurant. Well, maybe it wasn't really awesome at the time. In that moment, <laughs> it seemed like a very awesome Indian food restaurant. And um, I got the worst food poisoning I've ever had in my entire life to the point where I was hallucinating. Right. I remember that. I was almost taken to the hospital. Um, I, I just remember I'd gotten extremely sick and texted my friend Carrie, you know, we we're staying at the same hotel to come up and check on me. And he described it as when he opened the door to my room, I, and I barely remember this, I was wearing my sheets from the bed, almost as if like it was a hood. Like I was just some like tired peasant wandering through the woods. Um, and uh, he said that he just got hit with this just wall of hot air because I was freezing and I cranked my heater up all the way. Oh, God. And so he and another coworker of mine stayed with me all night and I was just going in and out and I won't get too into the details. 
I got so sick. I, I permanently damaged my voice. It was that bad. Right. What? It was really rough. I didn't get to go to the last day of the con. I had to miss out on a community hangout. And everybody was like, oh, Miles is probably hungover. And I'm sitting there just nursing myself back to life thinking like, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Because I think we were going to hang out again that day or mm -hmm. something. And <laughs> yeah, I remember DMing probably both of you. And Carrie just being like, "You're not going to hear back from Miles today, but like, don't get your hopes up." It was a, uh, it was, it was a rough time, but you know what? I'd still call that trip net positive. <laughs> <laughs> and you also have a great story. I have two questions: A, what were you hallucinating? B, what was the permanent damage to your voice? So at the time, I mainly only voiced two characters: a character named Felix from the show Red versus Blue, and a character named Jean Arc from the show Ruby. And Jean was this very like Ron stoppable kind of high pitch, like, hey guys, what's going on? Kind of, <laughs> I'll call it SpongeBob adjacent. And, um, <laughs> and it just so happened to work out in those early seasons, you know, he's a young teenager. He had that really high nerdy voice. And as the show went on and he matured, both just getting older, but then also going through some pretty intense stuff in the show, it actually made sense for his pitch to get a little bit lower and a bit rougher. Not much. It's, subtle, but I hear it. Um, mm. I cannot do my my volume one Jean voice anymore. Wow. And it sucks too, because I really enjoy singing. I did a lot of singing in our other show, Camp Camp. And there's just this range where if I go through my, uh, I just hit this point where I kind of drop out for a few notes and then I come back in a little bit later. It's just this one bit from just getting so violently ill. That's from barfing so much that you ruined your voice. Yeah. Just bathing my cords in acid was essentially oh. what I did for a period of 12 hours. It was rough, man. It was really rough. Oh, my God. Why is it always cons where you get, like, really, really <laughs> sick? I, like, know everybody who has a similar story, and I also got cholera and almost died at a convention in Mexico that was, like, very similar sort of deal. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, it was a thing. But continue. Hallucinations? Question mark? Oh, right. I don't remember this, but supposedly there was a moment where I'd fall asleep for a you know, 20 minutes, then I'd wake up and I'd have to be sick and they would try to give me water and I would keep it down as best I could. Supposedly, at one moment that evening, Carrie and uh, my other coworker, Alan, were just talking like, yeah, okay, we've tried this. Do we need to do this? Yada, yada, yada. And allegedly I sat up and I just stared at the two of them and they stared back and I turned to Alan in the corner of the room and I said, hey, Gray, Gray was my manager at the time. I said, hey, Gray, I don't think I'm going to be able to get you those scripts on time. I'm just not really feeling myself. And then I lied back down and I went to sleep. <laughs> so in the middle of all of that, I was just having a terrified fever dream that I wasn't going to make my writing deadlines. That's such a classic, like, workaholic, I'm sick kind of deal. Where it's like, <sighs> oh God, I have a deadline now. Yeah, that was a rough period. Those were tough hours back then. And I think, I think <laughs> things have gotten better since, but holy cow. That was when I was young enough and hungry enough to go like balls to the wall, let's go, let's go. And I've turned 30 this year and I just think back to that time and I am proud of myself for what I did, but I'm also like, hey, don't ever do that again. <laughs> <laughs> Learn from this and don't tell other people that they need to work that hard because no one should work that hard. Oh yeah, that was me in college. I have stories from roommates of me just sitting at my desk and passing out constantly from being so exhausted from work. And don't do it. It's not worth it. It's really not. I wanted to ask you, Leighton, have you ever had a febrile hallucination? 
I don't think I have. I've had plenty of like bad fevers in my life. I got the flu when I was like seven-ish. And I, like mm-hmm. I, one of those things where my parents had to put me in an ice bath, which is such a miserable Ooh. experience. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I had a really bad stomach bug. And you know what? As a horror person, I would love to have some fucked up hallucinations. I feel like it would be very creatively juicing to me, you know, like a big inspiration because I know my brain is going to toss me some insane shit. This is why I have not done um, certain uh, hallucinogenic drugs. Like ayahuasca? Yeah, because I'm like, oh, either this is going to be like really important to me, like emotionally and I'm going to have a great time or I am going to have the scariest trip ever. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I understand that hesitation. If you're a a big horror person, there was another moment in my life where back in 2016, I was under a lot of stress. No particular reason, Um, (laughs) but uh, I have a very bizarre love-hate relationship with horror. It's a genre that I cannot enjoy by myself, but I absolutely adore in a group setting. And it's something that I hope to get into writing more in the future down the road. But this was one, I think it was probably over the course of about two weeks, where I wanted nothing to do with horror. I was living in a city just north of Austin called Pflugerville. That's a tight name. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like a cartoon city name, right? Yes. Uh, I was living in Pflugerville. I was on the first floor of an apartment complex there. And there's one night I laid my little head down to rest. And not long after I did that, it sounded as though someone dropped their house keys on my nightstand. I was immediately startled by this and assumed that it was one of those situations where it's those dreams where you've just fallen asleep and then you kind of step off the curb and you're yep. jolted awake. It was it was kind of like that sensation, but it was weird. Mm-hmm. Those sensations are called hypnagogic hallucinations, I think. Ooh. That's the name Ooh. for that? Yeah, yeah. And I'd had those, you know, dozens of times throughout my life. But what I remember thinking was so strange was, you know how in your dreams when you just know something, even though there's nothing mm-hmm. that guides you towards that conclusion? Yes. I knew someone had dropped keys on my nightstand. And I was a little unsettled. It was a little spooky, but I just went back to sleep and everything's fine. A few nights pass, a very similar situation. I lay my head down and moments after, it sounds as though someone walked up to one of those little tassels that'll hang from your ceiling pan and just ping, just smacked it (laughs) against the light. And I sat up, I turned on the light. Again, very confused. I'm trying to figure out what did I hear that made me think that or what was I dreaming? Yeah. But in my mind, I'm like, no, someone was here and they hit that. The next night, it's now evolved into something different. I'm dead asleep. And around like three or so in the morning, I wake up to the sound of an explosion. What? I leap out of bed. It was one of those things where like I was up and standing before I was even aware of the fact that I had woken up. I'm standing at my bedroom window, not far from my bed. I'm looking out the blinds because I'm confident that an explosion had just happened outside. It sounded like lightning struck maybe half a block away. And I'm looking out and, you know, across the little field or whatever. And I see nothing. I'm really confused. My heart is racing. It takes me a little bit to go back to sleep. I'm waiting like there must be more thunder or something. Eventually, I just kind of lose consciousness and I'm out. So that next morning, I'm walking out to my car and a good buddy of mine, Cole, lived in the unit next to me. And I catch him walking. We both worked at Rooster Teeth at the time. And, uh, you know, we're doing small talk. Hey, fancy seeing you here. (laughs) Where are you going? You come here often? (laughs) And in the middle of that, I'm like, man, what was up with that storm last night? That was insane. And Cole says, I didn't even realize it rained. 
I go, well, I don't know if it rained, but I mean, the, the lightning, right? Like you heard that. And Cole's like, well, I mean, I'm a heavy sleeper. I didn't wake up. And I'm thinking, man, that's nuts, dude. That's crazy. You are the heaviest sleeper I know. And I didn't think much about it. That night I come home and this is now the moment where I start obsessing over what's happening to me. I lay my head down to sleep. And in my mind, I hadn't even fallen asleep. I literally just turned off the lights, laid my head down, and I open my eyes and I see something on my ceiling. Oh, God. It's past the fan, past the ceiling fan, behind the ceiling fan. I see this woman, like in the position that you would be in if you were crab walking. Yes. But she's just hanging from my ceiling and she's just looking at me. What? What the fuck? And then suddenly (laughs) gravity takes over and she just falls towards me and I wake (gasps) up. We're not playing games anymore. Oh my God. I turn on the lights. I can't go to sleep. I think, in fact, I actually fell asleep on my couch that night watching Game Grumps because I just needed something comforting. But I'm freaked out. I'm like, this is a really bad nightmare. I don't know why I haven't had a good night's sleep in over a week at this point. And this all finally culminated in the final night. I go to sleep. I'm like waiting for something to happen. Everything seems fine. I'm able to fall asleep. And then I wake up. And I'm standing at my front door. What the fuck? My hand is on the doorknob. Oh my God. As if I was trying to leave my apartment. And I'm assuming what woke me up was the door was locked. And so I let go of the doorknob and I turn around and I have turned on every single light in my apartment. Fuck. And I freak out. It was like 3.30 in the morning. Like, I remember like old tales of like 3.33 is the devil's time. And I'm thinking like, (laughs) what is going on? And at this point, I'm like, I'm going to WebMD this. I'm Googling. I'm like sleepwalking, like sounds, hallucinations. And this is how I discovered exploding head syndrome. (gasps) Wow. Oh, shit. Do you know about this? Yeah, I've never met anybody who has it. I was thinking that the entire time. From what I recall, it's something that I think some people can deal with regularly, or it can sometimes occur in people going through a period of extremely high stress and fatigue. And at that point in my life, I was stressed out of my mind. I clearly wasn't sleeping very well. And this was the end result, was my body thinking like, we are in constant danger. You're definitely hearing things. We need to be on alert. We're going to die. And after learning about that, I didn't have another issue with it. What is it? It is a a thing where you're under such stress that you just start hallucinating. Why is it called exploding head syndrome? That's what I'm really asking. (laughs) So let's see. This is just a brief Google search. So take that as you will. This is coming from sleepeducation.org. Exploding head syndrome is a parasomnia. A parasomnia involves undesired events that come along with sleep. Exploding head consists of a loud noise that you suddenly imagine just before you fall asleep. It can seem like a violent explosion has gone off in your head. It can also occur as you wake up in the night. Wow. Yeah, I learned about it because one of my favorite short stories is uh, Kurt Vonnegut, Harrison Bergeron, you know, where it's like Mm -hmm. government puts things in people's heads. So like every five minutes, they get a really loud noise. That's fucking horrifying. I mean, your brain was just like, hey, you know that scene where the dead baby (laughs) falls onto the guy from the ceiling? What if we just did that for funsies? Let's play out a fun what if scenario. Be sure to yes and, okay, (laughs) Miles? But what's wild to me is... That as soon as you had the diagnosis, you were like, okay, cool. And then it stopped. That's really interesting. Really weird. The human mind is fascinating and terrifying. It is fucked up. 
So I'm curious, that obviously, that piece of imagery sticks with you, like... Oh, the woman on the ceiling. Oh, my God. Oh, it's terrifying just walking. to hear about. Oh, oh, and then falling off suddenly. She wasn't moving. She was just stood still. And it was like, as soon as she acknowledged that I was looking at her, she fell silently towards me. Uh, oh, my God. That right there could be one of those, like, you know, two-minute horror films that you see, you know, on YouTube, right? Lights out or... <laughs> yeah, bedfellows or whatever. So my question was going to be, what are some other pieces of like nightmare imagery that have stuck with y'all? Or do you even have those? Because for me, at least, I have like very specific like shit that sticks with you forever, even if it was like 10 years ago. Well, actually, I did want to say one thing about a a fever hallucination before we get on that, because this is the only thing I can think of with that. I must have been eight or nine or something. And the Sierra game Space Quest had recently come out. Nice. And I was playing it all the time on my, you know, Apple 2 Plus or whatever. And I got some kind of flu or something caused me to have a very high fever. And I remember having very, very vivid Space Quest hallucinations (laughs) where I was Roger Wilco in this like, you know, kind of pixelated, like 16-bit looking landscape and walking around, talking to aliens and stuff like that. So my only fever hallucination was a Space Quest hallucination. And it fucking ruled, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Painfully on brand. Yeah. You described a 16-bit environment you were in. Generally speaking, do you tend to find yourself dreaming in the first person or from a third person, more like linear film perspective? Probably first person, generally speaking. Yeah, I would say first person. What about you? I think it flips back and forth. Most of the time, I think first person. And a lot of times too, it goes back and forth. Yeah. Like it'll be third person and then suddenly I'm in the scene I was just looking at and it's this Mm. bizarre layers upon layers inception style thing going on. I don't know. Or just like both at the same time where you're like, oh, I'm me, but I'm also watching this at the same time. Yeah. And like yes. the me that is watching has more knowledge of like, okay, that's my sister, but the sister is also somehow Justin Bieber. And I'm in school, but I'm also 50 years old. Like all this shit that you're like keeping mm-hmm. in your head. I Another question, because we're just going down the dream hole. Do you guys have like dream lore? Because my dreams will reference other dreams that I've had. What? Your brain has a show Bible for your (laughs) dreams? It's fucking ridiculous. It's like, okay, so we got to get through the beats of the season. And it really does feel like seasons. Like with shifts in my life, it feels like I'm in a different quote unquote world with different rules. Like there's a very distinct feel to them. My dreams are just really overwhelming. I'm stressed out. I'm on a lot of medication and it's just sort of like complete batshit nonsense. (laughs) It's great. I feel so rested all the time. (laughs) I can't even remember. You know, it's one of those things where I wake up and I'm like, whoa, that was weird. And then 20 minutes later, it's gone forever. So it's possible that's happening, but I have such poor recollection of my dreams that I feel like I wouldn't know it if it was. I haven't had a real out there dream in a while, but if I wake up in the middle of the night from a real head scratcher, (laughs) I normally will turn over and open up the notes app on my phone and immediately try to write down everything I remember. Yeah, And just reading that stuff back is such a treat when you're just like, iceberg sub sandwich? What does that mean? (laughs) And it's always written with such like, I'll know what I'm talking about sort of confidence. (laughs) One of my favorite memories, I feel like I might've talked about this on the podcast before, but even if so, I'm going to say it again, was when Rachel and I, we'd probably been married for about a year or something like that at this point. And, you know, went to bed after she did. And she just goes, you know, mumbles something. And I was like, what? 
And then she very, very clearly says, well, if you subtract 4,000 from 94,000, you get another Swedish name. (laughs) And I was like, what? And I immediately go to write it down. And and I'm like, what did you just say? Laughing. And then very angrily, she goes, you think I'm being ridiculous, but I'm not. And then turns over (laughs) and faces the other way. And I was like, this is fucking gold. So I wrote it down on, you know, I had like a crossword puzzle book or something next to the bed. And I have treasured that ridiculous, (laughs) ridiculous, <laughs> like sleep brain memory. Rachel is not someone who speaks in her sleep that regularly. I mean, maybe once every couple years, even does she say something like in her sleep that's audible and understandable. But just that full, if you subtract 4,000 from 94,000, you get another Swedish name. <laughs> oh, what a fucking weird thing to say. And I love it. My best post-dream frantic notes app scribble is so cryptic. Do you ever have the dream where like, as you're in the dream, you're like, this is a fucking killer idea. This is a great concept. I'm going to wake up and this is going to be fucking brilliant and like the inspiration for my next thing. Oh, yeah. And I open the notes app in the morning after having one of those and it just says, Stone Cold Steve Austin, dot, 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 <laughs> Cold Stone Cream Boston, question mark? <laughs> <laughs> I have no fucking idea what that means, but I think it's going to be... Cold Stone Cream Boston. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the perfect like little visual gag to have in like a scene where you have a bunch of writers trying to come up with something. And it's like, how's it going? It's like, it's going really well. And you cut over the shoulder to see like that written with question marks on the notepad and nothing else. Leighton and I were just talking, I've been re-watching 30 Rock recently, and that seems like one of those, Jenna to the stage for Cold Stone's Cream Boston. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of In a Quiet Place where they do that really stupid environmental storytelling where it's like the whiteboard in the basement. Like, what is the weakness? Sound question mark? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back to your question, though, Layton, of horror imagery that's stuck with us. What's yours, Layton? When I was really, really little, I had a recurring dream. I watched Jurassic Park way too young, but I was also obsessed with dinosaurs, and I had a ton of dinosaur toys. Hell yeah, respect. Yeah, right? And so it was very heavy on my brain. So like every night I would have a being chased by dinosaurs dream. So that was one But more specifically, there was one where, like, we had this Yorkie when I was a kid named Fudge, who was a little awful terror. Great name, though. (laughs) Yes, amazing name. A real terror terrier. Ah? (laughs) Describe Fudge. I don't know what Yorkies look like. Well, what color was Fudge? Brown-ish? It would have been weird if it wasn't brown. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it was some good irony, yeah. But even though he was a little shitter and ate, literally everything. I loved that dog. And so I had a dream that I was like playing with him and that I somehow like snapped the top of his snout off. And I just like woke up sobbing. But to this day, I have that anxiety about my dog, maybe. About snapping her nose off? Yeah. I mean, like somehow, I don't know. But it was one of those things where like it stuck in my head so hard and I woke up sobbing and my mom made fun of me for it. And like- It really stuck in my craw. And then the the one that I constantly think about, just because it is so, in hindsight, pretty badass, it was like I was sitting on the couch in my dad's house, and then this, like, shitty white Chevy crashes through the wall. And, like, it's a big, you know, it's a whole thing. There's rubble. This lady with, like, a short, like, sleek black bob and this really fuzzy, like, share from Clueless pink sweater Mm -hmm. climbs out, disoriented, comes up to me, starts choking me. And then I'm trying to, like, 
push her off and she keeps growing like more and more hands that are, you know, the arms are covered in that fuzzy pink sweater until I'm completely smothered by hands. And then I woke up. I mean, that's hot. Right? (laughs) Tell that story again, but slower. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Brian? Is there like an image? There are a couple I can think of. Have you both seen the Terry Gilliam classic Time Bandits? Of course. I haven't finished it, but I have watched a large portion of it at a bar. <laughs> okay, great. So I've rewatched it a few times as an adult. Is it a good film? I think the answer is no. But it is, like many Gilliam things, very visually compelling. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's this group of treasure hunters that are being pursued through time and space by more or less God or whatever. And one of the inciting incidents of the movie is the protagonist of the movie, who's a kid, they fall into his room through a a space portal or they just show up, I can't quite remember. But then they see basically this giant face of God, which is this kind of huge bald head saying something like, return my map. (laughs) And it like takes up the entire room. It's like backlit, glowing, bald, kind of blue and white. And they are looking for the space-time portal. And the way they get there is by pushing at a wall, trying to find it. And the wall budges. And they just keep pushing the wall. And the wall like moves down a corridor. It's like they're expanding the size of the room. And they're fleeing down this very long corridor from this gigantic floating head that's screaming at them in this very deep voice to return their map. So that, when I was a little kid and saw Time Bandits, I was terrified of a group of people basically appearing in my room and then being abducted by them. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God, there's a lot in that movie that, that fucked me up as a kid. The other thing is the ending... Like, basically, this kid lives with these terrible, terrible suburban parents, just like, Mm -hmm. you know, really tuned out kind of middle class bullshit, all the furniture is wrapped in plastic kind of stuff. And at the end of the movie, like literally the very end of the movie, their house blows up for some reason. I can't quite remember or catches on fire. And they open up what I believe is a toaster oven and there's like a lump of coal in it. And his parents are like, what's that? And the kid screams, don't touch it. It's evil because it's like concentrated evil or something. Uh And the parents touch it, explode, die. (gasps) Then Sean Connery, who's there as a fireman or something, basically winks at the kid and then everybody leaves and that kid's alone forever. What? (laughs) It's really fucked up. Oh my God. Yeah. When I was a kid, that idea of... You know, I'll be abducted by treasure hunters and then my parents will explode and I'll be left alone forever. Definitely stayed with me uh, (laughs) when I saw that movie way too young. Yeah, of course. There are so many like sort of for kids movies that are just fucked up, dude. Oh my God. Oh, I just watched Roald Dahl's The Witches, the remake of it with Anne Hathaway. I'd never read the short story. I'd never seen the original 90s version. I'm not going to say what happens in the end for people that haven't seen it, but are you guys familiar with that story? (laughs) Yeah, I read it as a kid. Absolutely. I read it as a kid and I saw the, uh, was it Angelica Houston, I believe, in the 90s one? I saw that one. You know, inciting incident. There's witches at this hotel. There's a young boy. He gets turned into a mouse. Oh no, we have to not get turned into mice. I have to become a boy again. Yep. Hey, spoilers for the next 10 seconds. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, he's just a mouse forever. It's really upsetting. And in the remake, they have a whole conversation about how like, it's okay, life expectancy. We'll die together eventually. It's weird. What? Okay, and there. Oh my God. I was just like, 
okay. <laughs> I guess that's wrapped up, question mark? Dude, so many rolled doll things fucked me up as a child. I mean, the number of times in those books that children are you know, on death's door Mm -hmm. because of some malevolent force that they can't do anything about is astonishing. And it happens all the time in those books. I'm down with that. I genuinely think a really underserved like audience is horror for kids Mm -hmm. because like kids like to be scared too. It is fun to be scared sometimes, but now everything is just like torture porn, horrific. And it's rare that you find something that is like kind of spooky and those rolled doll books, that stuff is abundant. But in the remake, they took what's clearly like a kind of like bittersweet ending. And then they really, really, really tried to make you feel like, no, nah, but this is the good ending. It's fine. <laughs> we don't have any concerns about this. And you should be happy for how this story ends. It was very bizarre. It was a strange experience. It's like, hey, kids, this is your introduction to existentialism. Have you ever considered <laughs> the terrors of the void? Yeah. There's someone on TikTok with this dog named Bunny that speaks through these buttons. Are you all familiar with this? No, I have not seen this. I've seen the thumbnails, but I haven't like actually watched the TikTok. It's cool. It seems to be this dog that is intelligent enough to use a series of one word button speakers to communicate ideas. And the latest one that has blown up is this dog staring at its reflection in the mirror. And then it walks over and presses the buttons who this, and then to ask a question, there's a button that goes, uh, what? That doesn't seem possible. For all I know, maybe it is staged, but it is probably the best comedic timing I've ever seen. The dog asks who this, uh, and the owner says, that's bunny. She goes over and she presses the buttons that bunny. And the dog goes back, looks at its reflection in the mirror then walks to a corner of the room and sits there. There's a time lapse of it sitting for several minutes. And the dog comes back and simply presses, help. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to existential dread, Fido. (laughs) Oh my God. With you saying the, uh, you know, everything's torture porn for kids, I'm just imagining like, what's the kids bop version of Hostel? (laughs) (laughs) I I was talking to a friend recently who is a writer for, for kids. And he was saying that in children's publishing now, they will not touch this stuff. Like, absolutely, they don't want kids in real peril. Horror for kids in that Roald Dolly kind of way mm. is just completely unacceptable, and no publisher will even come close to touching it. That's so sad. Cowards, all of them. So th- apparently there are real issues with people are concerned about traumatizing children which of course is a valid concern, but what that apparently has become, and by the way, everyone listening, don't take my word for this. Like this is one opinion. So this might be actually completely wrong, but he was saying that in pitching books, if you're saying anything that might even come across as like a little bit traumatic or difficult or protagonists that have a troubled relationship at home, they will not touch it. They don't want it because they're worried about a traumatizing kids and B people getting upset. There's probably more what they're worried about. Right. That they might potentially be traumatizing kids. And the unfortunate side effect of it is that real life difficulties are now less present in children's literature Mm -hmm. because people are worried about the potential outrage over them. Now, asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. Maybe that's totally wrong. I'm not an expert in this field. (laughs) But I thought that was... Interesting, because I agree with you, Miles. Like, when I was growing up, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark was like a huge fucking hit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Goosebumps. Yeah, all that stuff. And now it seems like we see less of it, and maybe the thing I just said is a reason why. 
it's so problematic on so many levels, but so patronizing. So when I was like seven, suffered a couple of close deaths and my parents got divorced like within a really short span of time. And so my school was like, you're going to go to counseling now. But like they had these books, Dinosaurs Divorce and When Dinosaurs Die. What? Yeah. So they're like these picture books that are about like, when your parents divorce, it doesn't mean that mommy and daddy don't love you anymore. Your parents are dinosaurs in this book? Is that what's happening? Everyone's dinosaurs. Wow. Ah, the ideal world. (laughs) Yeah. Even then I was like, don't patronize me, lady. Like you can talk to me honestly. Are they the Jim Henson dinosaurs from the show Dinosaurs? God, if only. God, I wish. Like, if they're going to explain how dinosaurs die, she's like, all right, you're going to watch the last episode of this. Have fun. (laughs) All I can think about is like, I'm the baby. Mommy gets me. (laughs) As someone that grew up with cartoons, I remember I wasn't familiar with like, oh, this is the work of this director. But like, obviously, I watched a lot of Disney animation, but also the animated films that had Don Bluth behind them. Yes. Those are stories that don't shy away from really like scary dude like land before time so sad so sad but it's okay like it's okay to be sad loss is a thing and i feel like his stories never shied away from the ugly side but also wasn't out there trying to traumatize kids but also wasn't trying to as you said patronize them or or lie to them or create this idea that everything's going to be okay and if they're is something wrong, then you're the outlier. If anything, pretending like the world is always going to be okay just makes it seem like when things are wrong in your neck of the woods, well, maybe there's something wrong with you. Maybe you're not living life right. 100% agree. Absolutely. Speaking of Don Bluth, uh, you know the, the one with dinosaurs, We're Back? Yes, of course. Yeah. That movie scared the shit out of me as a kid. There's so much shit in that movie that is so scary. Oh, yes. Speaking of children getting turned into animals, the dude with the screw eye, like when friendly John Goodman dinosaur is like bad man now. Scary John Goodman. Yeah. <laughs> Another one, two animateds that really fucked me up as a kid. Secret of Nim, big time. Nice. Very scary, a lot of it. But the other ones were the Ralph Bakshi Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Have you ever seen these? Oh, I've never seen those. I still cannot watch them because I am scared of them. And I'm not kidding. <laughs> really? They are very violent. Maybe it's just Lord of the Rings. And I was like that kid that read all the Tolkien stuff in fifth grade. So when I was like, I don't know, 10 or 11, I read all those books and I was like, oh, there's an animated Lord of the Rings. Yay. And then it's just brutal orc murder for an hour and a half. (laughs) And it was so deeply upsetting to me. I remember going to my aunt's house in Delaware and watching this on her TV. And I have been unable to watch those movies or indeed really actually any other Bakshi stuff since that, because I associate that style with being very, very scared as, you know, like not a little kid, but like a pre-adolescent. Oh, so off-putting to me. Back to good old 2014. So even as a 24-year-old, the scariest piece of media that I have ever interacted with in my life is Hideo Kojima's PT. (laughs) The playable teaser that was released on the PlayStation 4 digital store and then removed because Konami and yada, yada, yada. That is a game quotes that to this day, if I try to play that or watch a playthrough of that, the ambient room tone audio, just the pressure really? that is added, mm. that is enough to make me go, actually, no, fuck this. You know what? <laughs> fuck this. I, I can't. Going back to that woman on the ceiling thing and talking about you know thematic iconography in nightmares, I don't know what it is, but as far back as I can remember, 
I have been afraid of the image of a woman in a white dress staring at me. Mm. I don't know why. I like I, I had this fear before the ring came out. I have something to say about your wedding then, because <laughs> <laughs> watch out, buddy, is all I'm going to say. No spoilers. Oh, no. <laughs> No wedding spoilers. Yeah. Um, but something about just like this dead woman in like a, a dirty white dress and, and that long black hair. And so the ghost in PT is that. Yes. It's just that. It is my idea of fear distilled into a thing in this game. And the fact that it takes place in a somewhat modern home that isn't too dissimilar from the homes that I spend a lot of time in. Like everything about that piece of art it was like it was tailor-made to just make me break down and cry. <laughs> yeah, targeted drone strike at your uh, fucking Vegas nerve. Yeah, Jesus, man. It occurs to me that being almost 45 minutes into the podcast, we have not introduced ourselves. Time flies <laughs> when you're talking about nightmares. Yes, Miles, for what we do here, very typical. It's not weird, but we have gone a few episodes in the past without even remembering that we haven't done it. So I think this is a good time to do it. So Leighton, do you want to take the reins? Welcome, welcome to the show, Late Night with Brian Wecht, which is the podcast that you're currently listening to. I'm Leighton. That other one that you just heard is Brian. Yo. And mystery guest whose first name we've said many times. Would you care to introduce yourself? I'd love to. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Miles Luna. I am a writer and director, probably best known for working on animated series back at Rooster Teeth. I also do voice acting and am currently living the freelance life, learning about writing for video games and hey. doing commercial work and currently having a very fun time on a podcast. Yay. <laughs> wow. Hooray. Are you still in Austin, Miles? Yeah, I'm still in Austin, Texas. Gosh, I've been here for 12 years. Am I remembering correctly? You're from San Antonio originally. Is that right? Yeah, from San Antonio, Texas. Born in Plano, Texas, grew up in San Antonio, Texas, and have been living in Austin, Texas for some time. So I'm a good old Texas boy. Hell yeah. When NSP played Austin a few years back, I did these like little sideshows with Ninja Brian. And that was the first time we did one in San Antonio. It was the first time I had ever been there. And that is a lovely little city. It's a cool place. It's great for food. If you want to gain a lot of weight quickly, San Antonio's the place to go. <laughs> a beautiful land filled with fried tortillas and lots of cheese. <laughs> and I didn't even know about the lovely little river walk kind of, is that what it's called thing? Yeah, it's funny. As a kid, I really did not care for San Antonio because the things that we were known for as a child, I found uninteresting because it's like, it's the Alamo, a place of history, which now fascinating. When I'm eight, give me Pokemon. Yeah. And then, yeah, the Riverwalk, cool little downtown area. There's a lot of restaurants on the side. You can get drinks there. But to me, it was just like stinky brown water that's right. boring. <laughs> but no, San Antonio is cool. It's, it's also grown a ton these past few years. It's a nice little place. Well, it's not little. It's actually big. <laughs> is that, like Austin, one of the bluer parts of Texas? I mean, pretty much every major city in Texas tends to lean more blue. Austin is definitely like the pinnacle of like liberal oasis. Yeah, it is strange. There are these small kind of pockets of blue all around Texas. I had a friend that has bright pink hair and in Austin, hell yeah, brother. And you, you know, go 20 minutes into Pflugerville and then some people start staring at you like you're a weirdo. And it's just like, this is a bizarre place to live. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Recently, NSP has been... I say recently, in the last several years, uh, we've been going to this place, uh, Sonic Ranch, to record. Have you ever heard of this place? No. So it's about 45 minutes east of El Paso. 
And it's this like now legendary recording studio. It's in the middle of a, a pecan farm, ranch, whatever you call it. Oh, cool. And I think his parents started the pecan thing and, you know, they made a lot of money and then he inherited it and was like, let's build a fucking top tier recording <laughs> studio here because I love music. And now it's become this destination for all sorts of incredible artists. I mean, you just look up Sonic Ranch, you'll see who's recorded there. It's really, really amazing. But because of that, for the first time in my life, been through El Paso a bunch of times in the last several years. And I was shocked. I mean, I shouldn't really have been, but I just assumed, like most of Texas, it's probably pretty red. And then I was shocked when I was talking to people there. They were like, oh no, El Paso is like totally blue, like completely, mm -hmm. you know, went for Clinton 2016, like one of the blue parts of Texas. But I guess that's just because it's a larger city in Texas and that's generally mm -hmm. true. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a big fucking state. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a few road trips in my day and it's still wild that like the biggest part of the road trip is always just getting out of my home state. You'll go from a big city and then it's like, okay, a bit of a rural area. And then you just go through some wily coyote ass looking stretches of just, <laughs> of just not a lot. It's bizarre. Every time I drive through there, I'm always just thinking like, we have wasted our space as a country. Look at these other small countries that have really done the most with small spaces. We're really not putting this to the best work it could be put to. <laughs> Listen, man, you can make that change. You go drive out there, you find a nice little cliff face, you get that can of black paint, you draw a tunnel, you can go in the tunnel. <laughs> That's how it works. That's what cartoons taught me. That pick off the sweet roadrunner meat. <laughs> also, there's a ton of quicksand, you know, as we always encounter a lot of quicksand in our day-to-day -day existence. A lot of quicksand in childhood stories. I have a thing to say about this, but I want to take a real quick pee break, if you don't mind. So How dare you? <laughs> This is my podcast now, motherfuckers. Welcome to Late Night Without Brian Wecht. Here we are. Oh, God, now this means I have to talk to myself. Um, I need to take full advantage of this shit. Oh, the pressure. Hi, Jarek, you're editing this. Uh, hi, listeners, hope you're good. Um, oh, shit. Uh, I have a song recommendation. There's this band called Horror, and instead of ours, it's Nines. There's a song and music video called Bone Collector. Oh, that fat wobble bass on it. It's very good. I really appreciate artists who like go to the lowest possible vocal register. It's just some mean, harsh shit that I really enjoy. You know, the terror of the relentless entropy of the universe is really getting me down lately. You know, I stare out at the water and I just contemplate my existence and all of our existences in this hell world that we're currently living in. And, you know, I just think about emptiness so much. I'm back. Hi, Ryan. <laughs> and I'm back. Same. Perfect timing. Dang, you beat me just barely. Piss race. <laughs> oh, piss race. There's a game show. Yes. I love this. We should pitch this. This is great. It's like the floor is lava on Netflix. They'll take anything now. Okay. So speaking of things that scare kids, I watched that with my six-year-old. Floor is lava. Floor is lava, which I thought was really fun. Wait, is this a thing? Is it just like the Anakin Obi-Wan battle in the Star Wars prequels? <laughs> I have the upper ground. Pretty much. The Floor is Lava is a game show on Netflix that is sort of like, what if we took Double Dare physical challenges and just combined that with the game we all played as children, The Floor is yes. Lava. And so there's a sort of like spongy obstacle course. Sometimes it looks like an Egyptian tomb. Other times it looks like uh, a kitchen. Teams of three, they take turns trying to navigate the course, which side note, it's all the same course, just with different art on it. Yes. And then you have to make it across under a certain amount of time. Whoever gets across with the fewest people falling in and the lowest time wins 
who cares? <laughs> <laughs> it is a wonderfully dumb show and I'm sure extremely fun if you're a kid. I really like it, but my daughter was scared because the way they film it, like once you go into the, the quote unquote lava, which is liquid, it's like red bubbly liquid, yes. you disappear. Yes. You do not come out. And you fall into the lava and then they cut it so that you have just simply vanished. And you show up again at the end. As a force ghost? As a force ghost, yes, of course. And then everyone <laughs> sings Yub Yub, and it's, it's the best. <laughs> so my daughter, Audrey, watched one episode, and she was, like, terrified at the image of these people falling into this liquid and disappearing. It's very scary. It's very scary. Like, if you don't understand basic laws of time and space, which six-year-olds definitely do not, <laughs> you're like, yeah, okay, well, I guess they got eaten by the lava. End of story. Yeah. And now I'm scared of everything. It was such a choice on the makers of that show to go with that. And there's a lot of things about that show to just kind of look at in awe. But it's that decision to me that really is the beautiful bow on top of the floor is lava. Is once they're gone, they're fucking gone. <laughs> they're gone. I also like that they got some weird nerd to host it. Yes. And... Is his name Brian, actually? I can't remember his name. I think it might be, but he just goes for it in every single take. I really like him. I think he's a great choice for that show. He's very enthusiastic. I think the show is great. Rachel and I really like it, but it's been a little stressful for Audrey. <laughs> what has not been stressful, the show she's been crazy into recently is Nailed It. Have you seen that, Miles? I'm familiar with it. Oh, I've heard of it. Is it a crafting or a baking show? It's a baking show, yeah. Okay, right. It's like amateurs, and it's kind of like, hey, none of us can do this perfectly, Let's see who can get the closest. That's kind of like the premise, right? 100%. It's hosted by Nicole Byer. And I guess her sidekick, maybe co-host, but probably sidekick, is Jacques Torres, who's, a, I think, a chocolatier or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so she's a comedian, very, very funny comedian. And he is a professional baker slash chef, whatever his title would be. And then they have a third celebrity, you know, guest host to judge. And they get these amateur bakers who, although there is video evidence of them baking stuff from their ability in the kitchen, most of them seem to have never made anything in their lives <laughs> before. Because it's like one person, instead of sugar in a cake, used salt. Hmm. Oh, that's a creative decision. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. a bold artistic choice. And I can't help but respect it. Dumped a cup of salt into a cake. So it's amateurs, but it's like generally not good amateurs. <laughs> and they give them some incredibly complicated cake with like fondant and molding chocolate. One of the challenges literally was a cake version of Michelangelo's David. <gasps> <gasps> and it's like, okay. Uh, they did put on tasteful boxer shorts, polka dot boxer <laughs> shorts so that they didn't show any dicks. Yeah. That's a cop out. Damn the censorship. I know, right? But it's a really fun show. The hosting is awesome. I love Nicole Byer. She's so, so funny. My daughter, this is so cute. Audrey wrote her a fan letter, her first fan letter, um, which was like, I love you, Nicole, when you did this. It was so funny. I think you're the best kind of stuff. That is so cute. It was really, really cute. It's a great show. I highly, highly recommend it. I never watch reality shows, like literally never. But this has been a really fun show to watch with the family. Before I yelled piss race and we got on this <laughs> tangent, were you saying something, Brian? Oh, I was going to ask, yeah. Having gone through El Paso a few times now, my admittedly small sample size perception is that it completely sucks. <laughs> so I'm curious... What's your take on El Paso? Like, we wandered around downtown a little bit, drove around, tried to find cool stuff. It must be there. A lot of people live there. But 
it did not seem like a particularly fun city. I personally have never spent a great deal of time in El Paso on account of the fact that my home state is the size of several countries. Yeah, and it's very <laughs> far away from where you live, yeah. Yeah, and so the most time I've spent around, obviously, San Antonio and Austin. I have family in Houston, and then by extension, like Galveston and Texas City are, are right in that area. And teensy bit of time up in Dallas and like one weekend at Waco. That's pretty much the extent of the Miles Luna Texas experience. <laughs> but everybody that is from like a major Texas city. And most people claim this too. It's like, you just need to know where to look. Of course. That's what exactly what I figured. What's interesting though, is I also feel like every Texas city has their own judgment of what other Texas cities are like. And so, you know, everybody's like, oh, Austin's a bunch of hippy dippy stoners. And yeah. then to me, I'm like, oh yeah, Dallas, the place of gray buildings and highways. Yes, we all yep. love Dallas. Thank God for the Cowboys. Um, and then everyone's just like, right, San Antonio, the Alamo, we get it. We remember you. Yeah. That's kind of like uh, the vibe. <laughs> for me, the place I've spent the most time in Texas is Austin. And then the second most College Station, baby. College Station. Well, of course, there is a rivalry between Austin and College Station due to the uh, universities there. Of course. So I'll say it's a city. Yes. <laughs> I've never been. I can't speak about it. Of course. So for those people who don't know, that's where A&M is. And the thing that you might not know about A&M, although it's not super surprising, is they have a pretty kick-ass theoretical physics department. And in fact a very nice, relatively new Center for Theoretical Physics there. No joke. Yep, the, I believe, Mitchell Center for Theoretical Physics. And so I would go semi-frequently for conferences or to give a talk. And certainly if I was going to give a talk at Austin, i try to schedule a visit at College Station to visit their group there. It's this beautiful new building. And my impression of College Station also is that it kind of sucks, uh, <laughs> and was a, you know, like not the fun university town that Austin is. Look, there's good stuff there. It had some decent food, but it did not seem to have the rich cultural life that Austin did. Yeah. Austin's a wild place. It's a small city that is extraordinarily dense and has a lot of stuff going on. It's strange to see just how much it's changed, even in the, the amount of time that I've just been here feels like the closest thing to California that you're going to get in Texas, if that's your vibe. That seems fair. I remember for when I was going through like a bachelor phase there and I was like, what is Tinder? Almost every bio was like, just transplanted from California. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. A lot of people apparently come from California and a lot of people from Austin will go to California because the University of Texas is probably the best school in the state when it comes to a film program. And so that was the main reason why I applied to UT. We actually have an L.A program at UT where you can go and spend oh. a semester out in Los Angeles. And yeah, there's a good relationship there and a lot of mixing of the minds between LA and Austin. Well, that's interesting. I mean, UT in general, UT Austin is a great school just overall. Now I'm curious, do you know who the most famous theoretical physicist at UT Austin is? I'm curious how many people, if this is just common knowledge or if this is only in, in physics, because he's a big deal. Uh, John Smith. I'll give you the first name, Stephen. Stephen Smithson's <laughs> not the slightest clue. Stephen Weinberg. Stephen Weinberg. Nobel laureate Stephen Weinberg, who was one of the architects of the electroweak theory. Oh, wow. The interesting story about Weinberg is this guy, who I believe is still alive, was just a giant of modern theoretical physics. And I think he was at Harvard, I believe, and UT 
tried to lure him away to Austin, you know, to basically build a theory group there. And the story goes, and I don't know if this is actually true, but it is a great story, <laughs> is he said, yes, I will come to you. And here's my salary condition. I want to be paid $1 a year less than your head football coach. <gasps> oh my God. <laughs> and he's there. So I believe they agreed to that. It's hard to overstate the impact or reputation this dude has. He's a huge deal. That's the most baller ass move I have ever heard of like, yo, I know you got those jocks. I'm the biggest jock of nerds. Hit it up. <laughs> Show me what's up. Show me you want me. Totally, totally. And it's after years and years of academics being like, why the fuck are all these athletic people paid millions or whatever? I don't know how much football coaches make, but probably the head football coach at UT Austin makes millions. Yep, correct. <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, we're actually a school, so maybe pay some academics. Now, I recognize that a lot of alumni donations, et cetera, are based on football and whatever. But yeah, I love that this dude with his big swing and physics dick came in and demanded one for academics. I think it's great. Hell yeah. You're talking to the son of a public school teacher. I am always for giving our educators more money and support. Yep. Good guy. Same. Hey, Brian, thank you for teaching us about Steven Scrangleston. <laughs> <laughs> and his big swing and physics dick. Steven Weinberg of the very famous Glashow Weinberg Salam theories. Did you say Salam? Like like a nice hot Salam or some prosciutto? Yep. Abdus Salam. Uh, <laughs> yes. No, they're very, very disrespectful to that community lady. <laughs> Of swinging physics sticks, and I'm making the leap to some fat chodes of pepperoni and salam. I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> Just a regular whole fucking hog of salam. I don't understand why you're upset. Whole hog of salam. <laughs> the next time I walk into a deli and order a sandwich, I'm going to be like, uh, sir, and really just give me some fat chodes of salam on this guy. Really, that's what I'm looking for here. Actually, the guy who, who I mentioned, salam, is actually a cool dude. He's one of the very few extremely prominent Pakistani theoretical physicist, and in fact was instrumental in founding this, this place, the ICTP, the International Center for Theoretical Physics, which I think is UN-funded in Trieste, Italy. And so this Pakistani guy who won a Nobel Prize then was like, basically saw an opening to encourage other theoretical physicists from third world countries and help found an institution to encourage people from you know, just from non-rich countries where there's yeah. potentially a lot of amazing, brilliant people. I mean, there are yeah. clearly a lot of amazing, brilliant people and founded this place in Italy that I've been to many times because it's a major center for theoretical physics to bring in people from all over the world, especially places that don't have like amazing university systems mm -hmm. and, you know, cultivate brilliance in people that otherwise might not have a shot. That's awesome. And he's the guy that you just made fun of lately. <laughs> Say the acronym again. For what? For the thing you were just talking about. It was like ICTP. Man, it's really great that Insane Clown Posse is doing stuff to further the cause. I I am so glad I wasn't the only one that immediately thought of them. You have the ICTP and then you have ICP who are like, if we could just ask the other group how magnets work, maybe, maybe we could get somewhere. I'd love to see that. Speaking of music, are you guys Spotify users? Yes. Oh, hell yes. Okay, did you guys get your Spotify unwrapped uh, 2020 yet? Yeah, I did. I did. How big of a call out was it? 
Well, for me, it was mainly a call out that I have a six-year-old. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> it was also a call out that I'm a raging egotist because two top late songs were both songs I wrote. Hell yeah. <laughs> Love yourself. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm proud of them. But the other ones were German Lessons, which is from my kids' band, uh, Thunder and Lightning from NSP. And here we go. Uh, Into the Unknown. Nice. From Frozen 2. <laughs> uh, Glory of Love, the NSP cover, but that's because Audrey loves it <laughs> and listens to it all the time. Shiny from Moana. And then there's a lot of Frozen. Oh, Shiny's a bop. It is. It's a great song. Oh, and here we go. There's some Yacht Rock. Nice. Popping in here. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That is my go-to playlist. <laughs> yep. And it's a good one on Spotify, too. Algero, We're In This Love Together, which I have listened to a lot. And then also Wine Light by Grover Washington Jr. So is it a call out? A little bit. It's more just I have a little girl that loves Frozen and my kids' music. That's wholesome. More wholesome than I expected. What about you, Miles? I listen to music when I write most of the time. I tend to listen to instrumental music most of the time. I recently learned, I think this actually has something to do with my ADHD, where I have a very, very difficult time deciphering lyrics to a song. Me too. There's just so much auditory information being sent to me. I can pick out melodies. Like I can whistle the vocal parts to so many songs. But if you ask me what it says, I'm going yep. to mumble Same. it. And so um, it also doesn't help that when I'm writing, I can't listen to anything with lyrics in it because it will just throw me off. And so I'm just sort of inclined to constantly listen to instrumental music, whether it be chiptunes or orchestral or EDM stuff. And then weirdly, I just love like punk rock. Ooh. And so a lot of mine, it was like Martin O'Donnell, uh, the Halo 3 ODST soundtrack. There was, uh, for, for some stuff I was writing, I listened to not one of the main Fable soundtracks, but some spin-off Fable game. Um, uh-huh. uh, but my number one song uh, this year was Fight by Death by Ungabunga. Um, and that is just like, if you just want to like jump around and like punch stuff, but with joy in your heart, check out Death by Ungabunga. They rule. Like Ungabunga, like Captain Caveman Ungabunga. Yes. Yes, okay. So yeah, it was a lot of video game music and then uh, Death by Ungabunga <laughs> just like slipped in there. That's great. Now, Leighton, I saw you had a very inspiring top song, <laughs> which I was quite pleased to see. I was not expecting this. So important context here is there's an excellent You're the Man Now Dog uh, that is a certain the series of clips from the anime Lucky Star set to a specific song. And so my top song of the year was Out of Touch by Hollow Notes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Because I'm talking about Out of Touch Thursday, baby. And so every single Thursday, I start the day by listening to Out of Touch. And then I listen to it several more times throughout the day. So that was my number one song by like a lot this year. It's a great song. It fucking rules. It's one of the best songs just in general. Can I just say, in general... Hall & Oates is, for me, the ultimate party playlist. Like, put on Hall & Oates' greatest hits. They're, okay, Sarah Smile. Yes. Rich Girl. Out of Touch. Private Eyes. Private Eyes. Yes, of course. Man Eater. You Make My Dreams Come True. Make My Dreams Come True. Oh, the best. Just everything about it is great. And I love Hall & Oates. So I was so happy to see that. My close second on that was uh, Tears for Fears, Head Over Heels. And then right behind that, Mitski's mm-hmm. Nobody. But my top artists were, in order, The Strokes, Oingo Boingo, Home Shake, Marina and the Diamonds, and Father John Misty. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Does it seem to you both that it feels like the 80s are still having a pretty huge impact on what people are listening to today, more than 
the 70s or the 90s. Do you feel like that's true? 100% agree. There's also like certain subsets of it. Like I feel like synth in a big way is like tied to so much of like synth is really present in science fiction, which is like a really popular genre currently, I feel like. And then, of course, Stranger Things, like all of Stranger Things was a huge cultural moment for us. For sure. Brought a modern generation back into really just a love letter to a decade. Yeah. But in a way that I feel like, so my go-to rule of thumb for decade throwbacks is usually they happen about 20 years after the decade. Mm -hmm. You know, so like, uh, Happy Days was made in the 70s and it's about the 50s, you know. Mm. That 70s show was made in the 90s or, you know, whatever. Admittedly, there are a million exceptions to this, but roughly speaking, it's when the people who were teenagers in that decade start to be old enough to be in charge of making shit and Mm -hmm. then make it about their childhoods. But what's interesting to me about the 80s is I feel like it doesn't quite, I mean, it, it has outstayed its welcome according to that very probably wrong rule of thumb. You know, the 80s was, it's about to be 40 years ago. Basically, it is 40 years ago. And that's a long time ago. In the 80s, that would have been the 40s. Like, Mm -hmm. fuck, you know. Um, And I can't think of anything from when I was a kid, you know, I was born in 75, and, you know, most of my really formative childhood years were the 80s. It wasn't like, hey, let's check out these jams from the 40s. Fuck. Yeah. You know, (laughs) it did not have that kind of impact. There was a lot of 60s stuff. That's something that is shocking to me is that when I was a kid, stuff that happened like before you were born, basically, you know, was forever ago, right? And so like the Beatles were an ancient band by the time I was a little kid, even though they were around closer to the 80s than the 80s are to right now. Mm Mm-hmm. And so part of that is just, you know, perception of what you grow up with. But of course. it does really feel to me like I hear a lot of people, you know, late in like your age, you're 23, you listen to 80s music all the time, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude. It was your top song. Your top song of the year was an 80s song. Yeah. Well, and it's also as a synth enthusiast, like I think there's a reason that shit is so enduring just because the like endless possibilities of it. And I guess this ties into what will be one of my peaches, but especially with the accessibility of like DAWs now and like people's ability to emulate like a lot of those classic synth sounds like it continues to be like a very accessible way for people to make music and so you've seen this like big rise in quote unquote synth wave which I enjoy I love listening to it we've had a bunch of horror movies like It Follows and the guest I think that's Adam Wingard and then sort of Drive 2011 a terrible movie but you know Kavinsky Night Call Rules But like, it's very like on the consciousness. And so we see, you know, I get a ton of YouTube recommendeds for like 10 hours of synth wave. Um, (laughs) And and a lot of it's really like lazy and it's the same rehash of the same things over and over. But, you know, a lot of it's really, really good. And I'm happy to see that kind of stuff because I just love hearing some sexy moogs. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Totally. Thinking about stuff from the 60s, I don't know if there's anything more off-putting to me than hippie humor from the 60s. Mm. Oh, Not like all humor from the 80s has aged well, but oh man. <laughs> what do you mean laughing isn't funny? <laughs> yeah. Oh God. That's a really interesting example because it is so aggressively not funny and <laughs> so to my modern eyes, like unwatchable. There's some amazing actors in that, for sure, that people I still love. But like, oh my God, that has just not held up in the same way that something made like 
10 years later, like there's still some SNL sketches from the seventies that uh, generally most of them don't hold up either, but there's a few that are like all time classics. Maybe that's because it was even more counterculture, although Mm. maybe that's not fair, but yeah. Oh, like seeing some of those old TV shows from the sixties and what they were trying to get away with is fucking painful. (laughs) Yeah. Miles, I was going to ask you what kind of punk rock you're into because I'm also into some punk rock. Going back to the, like, I'm terrible at deciphering lyrics and whatnot, I'm guilty of being the type of person that will listen to one song and then go to Spotify and go, just make me a radio playlist of of stuff similar to this. Yeah. Yes. There's very few bands that I dive into that I'm deeply familiar with, but I really love, let's see here, Remember Sports. I don't know if you'd consider that (gasps) punk. Maybe punk is the wrong classification. I don't think it's punk, but I fucking love Remember Sports. You're the Right One is like one of my top late songs of the year and also last year. Yeah, maybe maybe it's like punk beach. I don't know. I don't even know what you would call it. Indie surf rock, maybe. It's like if punk wasn't so angry. That's the kind of white <laughs> rock that I'm super into. Uh, remember sports, Death by Unga Bunga, Mike Kroll. Oh my, oh god, my god, dude, I love Mike Kroll. 15 minutes? Mike Kroll's great. Jam. Yes. Yep. That was like one of those songs that I was listening to on repeat when we were crunching on Dream Daddy. And it was just like, it's hard for me to listen to that album now. Because <laughs> I'm just like, oh, war flashbacks. I get that. I remember I got super into 15 Minutes. Yep. 15 Minutes is the song that like made me discover him. Me too. I listened to that song constantly. Then this year was also the year, or maybe it was last year. What is time? <laughs> I finally sat down and watched Steven Universe from top to bottom. In, in beautiful, beautiful, such an important show. Um, and halfway through that series, this song pops up in an episode where they're going to a house party. I lost my mind. And then mm-hmm. I played uh, like a week later, I played Monster Prom, and the credits song is 15 Minutes by Mike Kroll. Wow, wow. I didn't know that. He's got a lot of fans in a lot of places. Yeah. Yeah. What if I told you that the world was gonna end? world was gonna. So one of the voices on Steven Universe, Greg Universe, is Tom Sharpling, who I talk about all the time because he's one of my comedy idols. Oh. oh, right on. Sharpling hosts this show called The Best Show, and I believe has had Mike Kroll on a bunch of times. So there's this kind of like alty circle of people involving Sharpling and Mike Kroll and probably Rebecca Sugar and, you know, all these people that are friends and working together and aware of each other. This definitely isn't punk, but thanks to my youth watching Fully Cooly, I'm obsessed with the pillows. I think they're one of the just raddest rock bands out there and have a great sound. You know, now that I think about this, it is criminal that I've never actually looked up the meanings to most of their songs, but I will listen to the pillows any day of the week. Are you guys familiar with Fully Cooly, F-L-C-L? Yeah, yeah. I I never watched it, but I know of it. No. It came out at the perfect time for me. It is a six-episode miniseries that is a story about a boy going through puberty if that story involved aliens from outer space that look like girls that drive mopeds and fight with bass guitars and also (laughs) there's robots. What's the name of it? Fully... Fully Cooly, you should just search F-L-C-L. It was just like some of the best animators and directors. If I had to describe the flavor of this thing, it's just like saturated teenage boy anxiety and power fantasy. Only a few years ago, they ended up doing two sequel miniseries, Fully Cooly Progressive and Fully Cooly Alternative. The first one I would consider to be very male-centric. The others, not so much, try to spread things out a little bit more. But it is just a absolute adrenaline rush. It's the sourest thing. It's the sweetest thing. It is just such high energy start to finish. Again, it's only six episodes long and I've watched it 
countless times. And every time I rewatch it, I notice something else because it just moves an absolute mile a minute and blink if you miss it, little animation nods or visual gags or jokes uttered someone's breath. And then you realize, oh, this is a metaphor for that. And like, oh, Mm -hmm. of course, like she's dealing with imposter syndrome and this is about their divorced parents. And it's so bizarre. And I honestly feel like it's a show that you'll watch the first time and go, what in the hell was that? And then on every subsequent viewing, you just fall a little deeper in love with it. It's interesting to me because I've never watched it, but being friends with a ton of artists, like I can see the very like direct influence and also because they talk about it, but the direct influence the art style had on their art style. And like, Mm. that's my shit. I love watching what people were influenced by and how they uh, iterate on top of it, but continue, please. What I found so interesting about it was unlike most shows, it doesn't have a traditional score. There's no Uh music that was written specifically for certain moments or scenes. What they did was they took an album by rock band The Pillows. Essentially, can you just let us take your songs and use them as the score to our show? And so everything about like the art style and like it flirts with like, I wouldn't call it overly fanservice-y. That's one of the things I have a lot of issues with with most anime. Mm. But like, because it is a show about growing up and getting interested in girls and stuff like it is actually critical to the story of the show there's like some sexiness in there and then there's of course things that boys like there's cool robots and lasers and guitars and the whole thing is set to this like upbeat messy rock sounds awesome when i hear that music when i think of that show i think of a very specific time in my life that just so happened to be what that show was talking about and i rewatched it again when i was in college and then for years and years and years afterwards. And as a kid, I just took it at face value. And and I was like, this has all the iconography and music that I'm into. And now I see like, it was talking about those things. That's so great. That's super interesting to me because I've been talking about this with my friend Vernon lately. I'm not a lyrics person. I don't listen to them. I don't appreciate them. There are songs that have been my favorite for like 10 years that I don't even know what the lyrics are. Like, (laughs) I just don't connect with music emotionally in that kind of way or just like, Mm -hmm. and even being a writer and like really interested in narrative, like, I don't know why it doesn't connect for me. It just doesn't. But like very recently, I was like, what does MGMT's song Electric feel about? Turns out it is about- Wait, can I guess? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's see. Is it about drugs? No, it is not. Oh, okay, that's a shock, actually. Even though you would probably guess that. It's about, directly from the artist, the song is about a woman who comes from the Amazon rainforest who has the power to shock people with electricity that runs through their veins. Hell yes. See, like, that's a level of literalism I really appreciate. I'm also, you know, the Strokes were my number one artist this year, and I feel like they're up there every year. But, like, I just love Julian Casablanca's approach to writing lyrics, where it's just like, Mm -hmm. meet me in the bathroom. That's what she said. I don't care. Like, it, it, it's so, <laughs> it's so nothing. <laughs> I'm here for the vibes, you know? Like, I love the mountain goats. I love John Darnielle's, like, prose, and the lyrics are cool, and I look at them, but I'm not listening to the song to be like, wow, that's really, I really connect with that. Yeah, when I'm listening to something, I'm imagining the scene that it's playing behind or or the visuals, the the emotion behind. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I think that's why I, I love, you know, Mike Kroll, The Pillows, um, Death by Ungabunga. There's just this high, high energy throughout. Like, yeah. I can listen to that song and imagine being in the pit at that show and just jumping for joy. <laughs> that's awesome. So we should probably do segments of the show. I feel like we basically just did... What's, what's pop. popping, sort of. But do we want to do super fast what's popping? Because I have a fun thing. I would love that because I have something that I'm, I became obsessed with in the last 12 hours. Oh, great. 
Perfect. Okay, then you go first. Well, 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 okay. Well, but, 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 hold on. God damn it. God damn it. All right, fine. Fine. <laughs> Before we get there, now, this is Leighton's favorite part of the show. So, Miles, you know that I am a musician. Correct. And I have written the theme songs for the show and the various segments we do in the show. As you know, there's not many generally. It's just the conversation. But we do have this one segment uh, of our two regular segments. This one segment's called What's Poppin'? And... The theme song is nothing short of astonishing. Uh, <laughs> of course. It's something that I wrote myself. I'm more proud of it than anything I've ever written. Any of the, you know, we go to the recording studio and record all these, whatever. It's irrelevant compared to <laughs> this, you know, 10 to 15 second, I don't even know how long it is, yeah. uh, theme song that I wrote all by myself, just on my computer here at home. So what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play it for okay. you. Okay. And what I want is your just gut reaction to it. You're going to love it. I'm going to tell you that right now. Of course. The, the question is always, how much do you love it? Is it like, you know, you pass out uh, from amazement or is it merely that you're really happy for the rest of your life? I don't know. Okay. Um, so I'm going to play it for you right now and I just want your, your opinion. All right? Okay. Yeah, I'm ready. Here it goes. <laughs> What's poppin'? What's poppin'? And there it was. So, thoughts. Oh, God! Oh, my God! Oh, I'm sorry. I had to... I just had to, um... It was powerful. I'm scared, but I feel safe. Now, just a quick question, and I, I again, obviously, I can't imagine the amount of time that went into that. Oh, was the intention minimalism? Because that's what I was getting from that. Quite the opposite. Maximalism. God damn it, Miles. God damn it. You're looking like a fool in front of Brian. <laughs> Layton's here. Get it. Get it together. Get it together. Yeah, no, of course. I see that now. I see that now. I just, you're yes. the musical genius and I am low. I am low. I'm down on the floor. No, 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 no. Listen, Miles, Miles, it's not your fault. You didn't appreciate it. <laughs> Thank no you. one can fully appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Leighton. Thank you. It's like light. When you include everything, it's clear. I see. God. So. Just beautiful. Oh. Uh-oh. Do we have a call-in segment? Oh, I don't know what's happening. Oh. Hello, 911. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to report a double homicide. It hasn't happened yet. It's just about to happen. And I just thought that you should maybe know about it. I'm going to be long gone. Forget my face. Forget my name. Forget this number. You can't see me, John Cena. Uh, but they're going to be, there's two of them. All right. See ya. <laughs> Layton gets very upset when I find someone who is a talented enough comedian to play along with my bit. And... That has happened today. So thank you, Miles, for validating me. Brian, what's fucking popping? What's popping? <laughs> Bitch. Well, I want to hear about what Miles' thing is first. Miles, what's popping? Okay, this game originally came out in 2015, but I got it during a Black Friday sale and played it last night with my girlfriend. I'm talking about Her Story. Hey! Indie game oh. on uh, Steam. It's a PC game. Uh, and hot diggity damn. Have y'all played this? Oh, yeah. I have not. I can't talk about it. This is the problem. I can't talk about it. It's spoilies. All I can say, as you know, all I can do is implore you, listener, if you got a computer and you got a couple hours and you don't know anything about her story, check it out. The premise is it's the 90s. You're working on a old CRT, like four by three computer. It's a desktop simulator. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a desktop simulator. Yeah. Cool. You're running through a series of recordings from a suspect interview. Um, there's a woman telling her story to the police about something that happened in her life. And the kind of introduction you're given is just like, hey, comb through these files, listen to her story, see if it adds up. There's a lot to comb through. The premise being like there was a flood and all these old files kind of got corrupted. You can't look at them in chronological order. The way that you sift through the content is by searching for words that are said in these video segments. So if there is a segment where she says, hmm. yeah, it was my birthday that night. If you search the word birthday, it will pop up with every clip in which the word birthday is spoken out loud and might say, we found 16 files with the word birthday, but you can only see five. So then from that point on, you're going, okay, I know this birthday is important. And then maybe this person, Simon, is important. We know Simon was at the birthday. What happens if we search birthday space Simon? And then you can narrow it down. Okay, these are the videos where both of those words were said. And through searching through all of this and adding your own tags onto videos, you can start to piece together the chronological events of the incident, what happened, who's telling the truth, and yada, yada, yada. It's just one of those games that really leans into the fact that it is interactive media. Whenever you do a story in a game, you know, obviously big AAA things aside, but like, I think there should be a reason you're doing a game and not a movie or a show or a book. And this is one of those pieces of art that could only truly exist in its current form. And you can do it in one sitting. You can kind of be done with it whenever you want. That's kind of all I'll say about it. Uh, and I found it extremely effective, extraordinarily immersive, and just a good time. It was a great story, and and I, I love it. That sounds awesome. Yeah, Brian, you would probably like it. It's a nice little bite-sized thing. If you liked that, you should play Sam Barlow's follow-up game, Telling Lies, which is the exact same concept, mm. except it's like way bigger scale, like a full cast. I liked it oh, wow. a lot better than her story, but I'm not the biggest fan of her story. I didn't like it very much. Oh, okay. Mm. There are some issues with it. Yeah, I can't really talk about it. Yeah, it left a lot to be desired. Let's see, how do I say this in the least spoilery way possible? It took about five searches for me to figure out the one word that is like very, very important to the narrative. Oh, and then I was just like, okay, I don't, I'll, I guess I'll finish this, but I don't really give a shit at this point. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, you would really enjoy Telling Lies. It's super fun. If you enjoyed it, you'll love that. Awesome. Actually, I've been looking for other games to play recently, especially games like that kind of narrative-y stuff. Totally forgot to mention, too, it's an FMV game. It's a great FMV game. Yeah, yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> Those are so few and far between. It was really fun. What do you mean Night Trap isn't a fucking work of art? <laughs> oh, my God. No vampires in this one. Sorry. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, that's the keyword. That's the secret keyword that really reveals what's, what's happening. <laughs> no vampires. Uh, what's popping with you guys? What's popping for me is that my friend sent me this music video, and she was like, you're going to really like this. She was like, you're probably not going to like the song, but you're going to like the video a whole lot. And I'm going to send it to you guys. We don't have to watch the whole thing, but I need to give you the context for what this is. Okay. It's from a Dutch band where all the lyrics are sort of like in pigeon Dutch. Uh -huh. And so the, the producer of all their music videos like cobbles together clips from old movies, like old exploitation movies. And it's so fucking dope. People who are listening to this, the band's called Outer's Pass. And the song is Der Poomp. <laughs> oh, dude. The, the fucking vibes, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, this rules. Right? And honestly, I like the music, too. All their other music videos are amazing. I love Shank. This is great. Ah. This goes so hard. I know, right? Angry Dutch shit. Yeah, dude. 
Look at these costumes. Yeah, dude. Pumpy Papa. Yeah. Outer Spas. Dear Pump. If listeners know anything else about this band, please tell me. That's wild. You know what? That is popping. Yeah. Anyway, you don't have to watch the whole thing, but it, it, it is a really delightful thing. That's what's popping for me. Along with a billion other things, I watched Scorsese's After Hours this week and I fucking loved it. Rewatched Safety Brothers' Good Time, which slaps. Folks, if you liked Uncut Gems and you haven't seen Good Time, check it out. It's a good time. Oh, Uncut Gems. A uh, good time more like great time. Ha ha. Uh, Brian, what's popping? <laughs> What's popping with me is uh, is a Snarky Puppy album. Do you guys know Snarky Puppy? Uh, no. I only know my own Snarky Puppy. Snarky Puppy is this like massive, they're basically jazz, but they've got a lot of elements of world music and synth stuff in there too. It's one of those bands that has like 40 people who are constantly rotating in and out. And everybody in this band is a fucking shredder. Like, hmm. amazing. They have a lot of great albums. The one I've been really interested in this week is called We Like It Here from 2014. And it's a little bit smooth. It's got a bunch of Moog hey. stuff going on. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Yep, you, you listen to it right away. It's got some strings. To me, sounds like some kind of North African sort of elements happening too. I really, really like them. In fact, one of the sax players, Bob Reynolds, played sax on a bunch of NSP stuff, uh, Starbomb stuff too. Cool. That's awesome. Did you find him through this band? No, our producer knew him. It was just kind of a coincidence. Wow. I knew of the band, but I didn't know him super well. And when we started working with Bob, we were like, oh, I should go check out Snarky Puppy stuff again, or I hadn't heard much. Uh, and I was just like, what the fuck this is insane? So all of their stuff is great. They actually also have recorded at Sonic Ranch, this El Paso adjacent studio we were talking about. So yeah, check out Snarky Puppy. We like it here. Just the playing's unreal. And the whole album is great. Yeah. Amazing. Shall we segue into our final segment? Yes. So... Our final segment is called Peaches and Lemons, which is basically a gratitude exercise, but also a petty bitching exercise where we will all go around and we'll share one lemon, which is a petty thing that we're frustrated about or that's kind of a bummer or, you know, just go off. And then we have three peaches, which each one is, you know, something that nice that happened or that you're excited about or grateful for. And they can be as completely petty as you want or, you know, as deeply meaningful as you want. Peaches and Lemons. So we're going to start with lemons because we are almost in Biden's America. And that was the late night promise that if Biden won, we would do lemons again. <laughs> I've got one. This is very, very, very petty. So because I am now a suburban father, I put up Christmas lights on our house this week. And we had had some Christmas lights, I guess, for a few years, like big fucking. It's like the multicolored bulbs, not tiny. The big boys. The big boys. Stretch them across the front of the house. Nothing fancy. It's not like Christmas vacation style. It's just like a little line of them in the front of the house. We had one strand, which was enough to do half the front of the house. And then Rachel was like, oh, these are great. Let's go buy more just to complete the house. And they no longer make them. Oh, and we are forced no. to get a different kind of Christmas light. And because I'm a cheap motherfucker, I'm not going to take down the ones I already put up. Of course. Miles, I got on a ladder to do this. <laughs> a ladder. Do you understand? Ladder. I do. I did this this weekend. It's no small feat. It is not. And so I'm not taking them down, but now I'm going to be forced to confront the reality of the front of my house having one strand of light that is one kind and another that is another kind. And Ugh. 
I don't know what it's going to do to my reputation in the neighborhood. Can my lemon be what your house is going to look like this season? Yes, of course. <laughs> Dude, the, the homeowners association is going to chase you out of the fucking neighborhood with pitchforks for this this transgression, yeah. this aberration in the eyes of God. Jesus would be disappointed. I had no idea you were leading the charge of the war on Christmas, Brian. Yes. <laughs> Anyone who says happy holidays is abolished from this podcast. Abolished. <laughs> Anything dumber than the war on Christmas. I hate that so much. So that's my lemon. Yeah, they don't make the Christmas lights that I need more of. That's a valid lemon. Yeah, good lemon. Miles, toss us a lemon. Maybe not as big of a thing as it used to be since a lot of people are now doing curbside and delivery for groceries where that's available. But this has been my entire life. If you have a shopping cart and you use that shopping cart to transport your shopping's into your vehicle. And then rather than put that shopping cart in the designated shopping oh. cart slot, you just leave it. You can go fuck yourself and die. Dude. <laughs> there. I said it. A hundred percent. You're correct. You know, unless you are racing off to save the world, yeah. you can take the maybe 60 seconds it takes to walk that fucker back and save some, you know, probably poorly paid worker who's currently putting themselves at risk by being at work the hassle of going to get your cart from in front of your car. Yeah, also, especially if it's a full parking lot, they leave it in a space. If it's, they leave it on like, if, if oh, the parking yeah. lot in LA, Ooh. so many of them are like sort of on an angle. So it just gently rolls down and it's like, that's going to poke somebody's car. Just like, I don't know. It is the most like base, along with like not being a dick to waiters and stuff. It is such an instant like, yes. if you can't do this basic thing, I just fucking hate your guts. Yes. Oh my God. I'm glad there are good people on this call and you're all good people. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Put your shopping cart away, for Christ's sake. I'm saying it on a podcast so everybody knows what a good person I am. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is true. I think about this every time I go to the market and I see, like, there are fucking shopping cart, like, return areas all over. It's not a big parking lot. Just push it over there. It's not like you have to fight away some goblins and solve a riddle or whatever. Like, you just you, you, you just put it in the corral. You don't even have to put it in there. You just kind of shove it in and it hits another cart. And it's like, all right, yeah. Yeah. It's the asshole test. Asshole test. I love that. Put away your fucking shopping cart. I will say the, the place where this is uniformly the worst are Trader Joe's parking lots. Oh, my God. Oh, really? Trader Joe's, I think the way they find locations is they look for the worst, <laughs> smallest parking lots. <laughs> it's like that everywhere. It's like, how do we everywhere. force people to play Tetris in this parking lot? <laughs> yes. And now, of course, all the parking lots have lines going through them because they're throttling entrance to the stores, as they well should. But every parking lot at every Trader Joe's is a disaster waiting to happen. And it's littered with badly placed shopping carts that someone just left in a space. It makes me so mad every time. Like, fuck you, I'm trying to get cookie butter. Move! Yeah. <laughs> All right, Layton. So as we know, we had the additional extremely useless LA lockdown announcement today where it's like nothing functionally has changed if you've already been following the fucking rules. Dumbest thing. What I think is really, really great is that back in March, with everybody staying at home, they suspended LA street sweeping. And just like last month, they finally brought it back because I think that's a great thing to do when you're encouraging people to stay at home is you need to move your car twice a week. <sighs> and as somebody without a garage, I have to deal with, you know, street parking. So every Thursday and Friday, it's like, okay, I got to wake up earlier so I can move my car. But everyone else is also looking for the spots on the correct side of the road. And I live in a place where a lot of people come to hang out. And so it's just like, I'm going to kill you if you don't let me have this spot. And then it's just frantic parallel parking, full of rage. Oh. And then, you know, 
do it twice. Love it. Amazing. Oh, that sounds like a special wow. circle of hell that I hope people that leave their shopping carts out are sent to in the end. That's rough, dude. It's insane because I'm always like, okay, I'm not going to get a parking ticket this week. I'm not going to get one. And then like every once in a while you fuck up or you have like one inch in a red zone or you're one inch into somebody's driveway and then they leave a shitty note on your car and like call parking so they can give you a ticket. And it's like, I wasn't blocking your fucking driveway. You can get out. You're just doing this to be a dick. Oh, God. I'm sorry. I weep for you. (laughs) Thank you. I know it's my life is so fucking difficult. (laughs) Can we just say that the L.A. stay-at-home order, first of all, yeah, don't fucking go hang out with people. Like, are you crazy? Like, don't do it. But the stay-at-home order is, it says stay-at-home, followed by 40 pages of exceptions. Yeah. Mm. Except for everything. Yeah. Zero functional difference. Mm. Yeah. As far as I can tell. I read through this thing last night. First of all, I was like, is this a law or not? Totally unclear. (laughs) It is an order by the mayor. Is that a law? I don't know. It's like that meme of the anime boy with the butterfly. Is this yeah. a law? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And then it was like, okay, but as far as I can tell, nothing is different. It seems like mere lip service. This doesn't work if you're not fucking paying people to stay home. There are people who can't. Yes. Ah! Yeah. Time to go cyberbully Eric Garcetti. <laughs> <laughs> I saw someone <laughs> reacting <laughs> to this last night. And they said, Garcetti? That sounds like a kind of butt pasta. (laughs) Got him. Got him. Drag him across the coals. Butt Butt pasta? pasta. Yeah. That's beautiful. I really, really like that. Let's do some peaches. Who wants to start? I'm happy to start. All right. I'm going to make these quick. Number one, yesterday I picked up donuts from my favorite donut place, Donut Friend in Highland Park. It's amazing. They're vegan donuts and I am not vegan, but these are hands down like my favorite donuts in town. They're Rachel's favorite. They're fucking amazing. And I I just really love this, this place. So I got Donut Friend donuts. It's not near where I live. I was out in that direction. I picked them up. I'm thrilled. So hell yeah. What's your favorite Donut Friend donut? I like the Husker Blue. I'm a sucker for a good blueberry cake donut. Mm. And it is a blueberry cake donut with blueberry frosting. Ooh. Oh my God, I'm so hungry. God, who's the guy who uh, who founded the place, who owns it? He's some musician guy. I think he's well-known. I just can't remember who it is. And so all the donuts have like rock and roll names, like alt-rock names, like Husker Blue. Oh, cool. Mark Trombino. Yeah. Anyway, Donut Friends Donuts, number one. Uh, number two, I mentioned it before. We put up Christmas decorations around our house, and now our house looks lovely and warm. My wife is a very a solid Midwestern person and goes bananas around Christmas. And so our house is now filled with holiday decorations, and it's pretty great. It feels good. It does. It just makes the house feel warmer. It's more colorful. It's nice to have something that's different in your home. <laughs> it totally is. And we did it day after Thanksgiving. Uh, my rule, by the way, no holiday decorations. Look, no Halloween decorations before October 1st. No Christmas decorations before Thanksgiving. These are my these are my rules. I think that's fair. Fair enough. Rachel was going to put up Halloween shit on September 1st. And I was like, <laughs> we will look like monsters if we put up Halloween decorations outside in the beginning of September. School hadn't even started yet. Anyway, we put up Christmas decorations and our house feels lovely and warm and I really like it. And somewhat, my third peach, somewhat in line with this, is my wife purchased for me a new pair of lounge pants. Oh! Uh, Yep. And uh, I gotta say, I'm really enjoying them. 
Yes, please. Are, oh, I'm taking questions. Yeah, the floor is open. I, Brian, Brian, yes, My, Miles, Miles Luna Miles, uh, Miles, from the podcast. Yes, yes Miles. Um, are you wearing those pants right now? I am not. What the because fuck? Because those are my non-work pants. When I'm at work, I do not wear my lounge pants. I wear my jeans. Mm. You're doing it all wrong. You got to wear the lounge pants at work. I'm going to say I respect the boundaries, and yet I'm still disappointed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's completely fair, and I get it. I've reached the stage in Q where I'm openly wearing pajama pants in public, so it's it really doesn't. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm valid. I think that is a perfectly valid choice. So these pants, they are holiday. Uh, I don't wear a lot of holiday garb. Rachel bought them for me, but they have like polar bears and snowflakes and shit on them. They're blue background with white, you know, designs. I don't wear a lot of patterns like that, but these are super comfortable. I do not put them on. Here's the rule before dinner. That's the rule. It's a good rule. Yeah, fair enough. And uh, I'm just lounging around the house. I'm fully dadded out. Got my lounge pants. And my big, plush, terry cloth, gray robe. Oof. Luxury. Yeah. Oh, it's the best. And I relax every night with a snifter of brandy and a a big fucking cigar. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Give me an oil painting of that. Yeah, seriously. Fireplace blazing. Yep, while reading the dictionary. (laughs) (laughs) You know, fireplace is a good segue into my peaches, if if I may. Yeah, do do it. it. My first one's campfires, man. Hell yes. As of recording day, it is December 3rd. And yeah, let me check. It just got cold in Texas. Same. Same in LA. Yep. And so I'm fortunate to have a pretty large backyard and we have a fire pit. Define cold for Texas. Cold is in the 40s and lower. Oh, okay. That's colder than it gets here, typically. It actually, it froze on Tuesday, which was very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Uh, Rest in peace, those plants I left outside. Uh, But we have a fire pit in the backyard, and I was an Eagle Scout and have so many memories tied to the smell of a smoky fire pit, and nothing brings me comfort. Just like a little log fire, sit out in it, get all smoky. You can just, it's nature's television, is I believe (laughs) uh, Bill Nye the Science Guy said that, and so you know it's true. Mm -hmm. I'm very... And again, I don't know if it's because of my ADHD, but like I need activities. Just hanging out is kind of like I struggle with that. And so just my girlfriend and I hanging out in the backyard is just like made infinitely better when fire is involved. And there's just like, ooh, this is nice. (laughs) This is just us and our friend fire. So campfires. Thank you, campfires. Another one for me has been cooking. I've always enjoyed cooking. And if I hit like a creative block, I've been trying to do other creative things that aren't related to the thing that I'm currently working on. And so last week I made a Chicago style pizza from scratch, made the (gasps) dough and everything. And it was like an all day like endeavor. And God, nothing has tasted so rewarding in my entire life. Like it wasn't a perfect pizza, but I knew what it went into making it and it made it taste that much better. That's awesome. I love that. But the big one, like far and away that I've been really grateful for Tabletop role-playing games. Mm. This has been something that my friends and I have done over Discord and Roll20 since quarantine essentially started. We started playing Delta Green, which is a really intense, eldritch, sort of like spooky one. And then my friend Justin led a homebrew D&D thing. And then recently, back in March, I decided to leave my full-time position at Rooster Teeth to dive into my dream of getting to work on video games and stuff. So great. Game design has always fascinated me. And I turned 30 in April and I was like, I've been extraordinarily fortunate to have a decade long successful career in animation, but like games like that is just the wild west of storytelling to me. Mm -hmm. I think we're just scratching the surface of what is possible through these amazing empathy machines. And so I've been reading up, I took some college courses uh, and I'm just like 
doing everything I can to educate myself on this. And I realized something I can do is I can write a D&D campaign. And so that's been my kind of passion project in between other little freelance things lately was writing a, my first D&D campaign completely from scratch and wow. ran our first session uh, last weekend. And it was a ton of fun. And that's I'm excited awesome. to get back and keep crafting more twists and turns and goofs and goblins and whatnot. And so that <laughs> has just brought me so much joy these past few months. I love it. Wow, that fucking rules. If you ever want to talk like game design, uh, game shop, let me know because that's my shit. I would love that. <laughs> Hell yeah. Congratulations. You know, I, I took a big career jump myself, you know, many years ago. And just congratulations on doing that. Thanks, man. I know how hard it is to leave like a stable thing for something that's like, hey, I just really want to try this and see where it goes. And that's, I commend you for doing it. I think it taking a calculated but big risk is the way to grow. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that. It's been nice. It's left me with more free time to do things like this and have lovely conversations with lovely people. So yeah, yeah. I'm happy. It's scary, but it's that like nervous energy, that nervous excitement, like right before you go live on something. Yeah. Yep. I was told once that if you ever reach a point where you're not just a little bit nervous right before you go live on something, it's not a good thing. Yep. And, and so you, you can channel that and do something cool with it. And I've got that in spades right now and I'm trying to channel it. Fuck yeah, dude. That's awesome, dude. Congratulations. Thank you. Leighton, I want to hear about your peaches. Wow, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm going to toss some fucking juicy peaches at you. Yes. My first one is that for Black Friday, Arturia, who makes like a bunch of synth shit and VSTs. Their shit's very, very expensive. Yes, mm. it is. But on Black Friday, it was like, here's everything super on sale. Where like you can basically get 24 of these for the price that you would pay for two of them. And so I did that. And now I just, I never need to download another VST again. I am so <laughs> excited. Got that Profit 5. I got that Mini Moog. Like, oh, it's going to take me so long to even get through all the presets, not even touching like me customizing my own and like just deeply exciting to sit here and just plunk away at my shit. That's so cool. Yeah. And also just like the GUI of like nice high-end VSTs where it's like, these are fucking gorgeous. Whoever put this together, like this is amazing. So there's that. That is peach number one. I can't wait to make dope synth shit. <laughs> yeah. My second one is related to the Spotify wrapped thing. So many people have tweeted us that Late Night was like their top podcast or uh, one of their top podcasts. Hell yeah. Yes. I was A, not expecting that. B, so flattered by it. And some of you like listened to every single one. And it was like, Brian, I think I sent you a screenshot of it. Like how many minutes have we done this year? Yeah. Oh, I, it's like 60 something hours total. It's 3,748 minutes of content over 47 episodes. So big old yeah. pat on the back. Thank you to everybody who's been who's been listening to these and join the Patreon. Yeah, fucking seriously. As we come up on almost a year, which is terrifying. Yes, it's been so fun. I think I said this to you when I messaged you, Miles. Like, honestly, one of the real joys of this is that it's now a way to catch up with friends that I haven't spoken to in a while. Mm -hmm. And it's just a convenient excuse. And because of the way we structure it, it's just like, yeah, we're just talking in a way that <laughs> for most of my friends, even close ones, it would be weird to just pick up the phone and talk for two hours. Not weird, but like unexpected. Yeah. But in the context of a podcast, it's exactly the same thing. Like exactly the same thing, although people are <laughs> going to hear it. So I guess there's a little bit of difference, but it is such a wonderful thing to have this opportunity to talk to friends and other interesting people that 
uh, either Layton or I, or both of us don't know yet. So yeah. And I think my favorite thing about the show, I mean, there are a lot of things that I like about it just to suck our own dicks a little bit, but <laughs> way ahead of you. <laughs> any given episode, like we just kind of let it be whatever the guest wants it to be. So a lot of times it'll be dumb bit shit, but we've had a bunch of episodes where we get like very vulnerable and real about making stuff on the internet. And I think it's always a fun little toss up of you never really know what you're going to get. And how many times are we going to say come in a particular episode? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That might be the first cum drop of this one. I think so. Uh, oh, God. Cum drop is the worst <laughs> thing I've ever said. You're going to write a theme song for that, Brian? Well, what I, what I was going to say is we need like one of those morning show drop-ins like cum drop, you know, like that. <laughs> no. boop, 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 we really boop, don't need boop, that. Cum drop. Cum drop. My final peach is strange, but Brian, I'm going to send you an image that I am I need you to read the text of. And I guess, Miles, I don't have your number, so you're not going to see it until I drop a link to a thing. So I found this image as a meme. This is a two-part thing. And you just want me to read this? Yeah, describe the image and then read the text. All right, text from Leighton Gray, attachment, one image. So, oh, wow, this is very, the res is really low. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the point. It looks like a very extreme close-up of a cat with kind of a fisheye lens where the nose is extremely prominent. might not be a cat, but looks like a low-res fisheye image of a cat. And what I can see from the text, now I might not be able to get all of it, is one bad gloop. And she... <laughs> I'm going to try that again. Here, here's my rule. Every time I laugh, I have to start over. Okay. One <laughs> This is going to take a while. Excuse me. I need a moment. Okay, I got this. Okay. I want to feel it. And your motivation is you're reading the text and take us away. Great. No, 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 we can do it. We can do it. And Wait. and transport us there. One bad gloop. <laughs> <laughs> no, just keep going. Keep channel it. Harness it. Do it. Yeah, you can. Oh. Brian. One bad gloop. And she <laughs> What did she do? And she what, Brian? I have to start over. Why did I make this rule? <sighs> Stop laughing, Layton. I swear to God. We're not laughing. We're crying with anticipation. <laughs> and here it comes. One bad gloop, and she do what a Yankee. Two big splurge, and a big ass goopy. Three more Yankee. Then buy me a smoothie. Poured up a gloop. That's a gloop. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I have to start over. Okay. You know, you only oh have three God. words left. No, I, that was my rule. Speed right, speed right, speed right. One bad gloop and she do it a Yankee. Two big splurge and one big ass gloopy. Three more Yankee, then buy me a smoothie, pour it up a gloop. That's a gloop and a splurgy. <laughs> Bravo. So <laughs> I encountered this image, which as you can tell... <laughs> I had the exact same reaction to one bad gloop and she do what I yoinky. I saw this out of context and I was like, this is a very funny image because my brain has rotted so hard that this is the only thing that makes me laugh anymore. 
But as it turns out, it's a song. What? Oh, yeah. Send it to Miles. All right. Did you get it? I got it. What the? What the f- <laughs> <laughs> this, this freaking cat. <laughs> okay. So I'm, I'm going to tell you beforehand. I'm sorry. This is like me copying the tape from the ring so that I don't get killed in seven days. Ah, uh, beans. It's one of those. You done ringed me. Okay. You, you sent the link. Hold on. And folks, if you want to listen at home, just look up One Bad Bloop on YouTube. Extended version. Great. It's a bop. I'm digging this lead-in. Right? Yes, I like this. For sure. Hmm. This beat is uh, hot. Yeah, right? Uh, 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 what? <laughs> I go, I want to be the hype man just every now and then, just like, one bag, whoop. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, it later in the song, it gets into that. But anyway, the third peach was the arc of finding that image and then discovering that it was a song made me <laughs> almost cry laughing the other night. And so I keep, I can't stop listening to that song. And the other day I woke up this was yesterday. The very first words in my head were one bad gloop and she do what I yoinky. <laughs> really set the tone for the day. Hell yeah, dude. So that's my last peach. <laughs> Thank you. That was hands down the juiciest peach. Yeah, what a way to end. Really bringing it home strong. Peaches and cream, baby. Mm. <laughs> dude, Miles, what a, oh, just so much fun to catch up with you, man. Yeah, this is an absolute fucking delight. Yeah, Leighton, so lovely to get to meet you and speak with both of you. Brian, when you reached out and I messaged this to you, literally the day before you messaged me, I was like, what the hell's Brian up to? I haven't talked to that dude in forever. He's always so nice. He's such a cool dude. I should reach out to him. And then lo and behold, the universe brought us together. Boom. If that ain't something, I don't know what something is. That's <laughs> Put that on my tombstone. That's the phrase I want to be remembered for. Yeah, just with, <laughs> but with the big space in the middle. If that ain't something, space, 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 space. <laughs> I don't know what something is. <laughs> and then a picture of the cat from One Bad Glue. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about you because I just saw that Spelunky 2 came out recently. Oh, yeah. And I was remembering when we played that on, on Grumps, you know, probably three, four years ago now. Yeah. And I hadn't known the game before that. So I saw Spelunky 2 and I same thing. I wonder what Miles is up to. <laughs> Man, that's just the universe. Yeah, man. I love it. This is friendship. Thank you, folks, for tuning in for this nearly full year of Leighton Night. As always, with our parting words, stay safe, come hard. This is the end of the podcast. <laughs> c- 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 calm drop. <laughs> Yay. Oh, my God. Amazing. Fuck yeah. Okay, so we're complete unprofessionals and we forgot to record the plugging thing. Uh, 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 Miles, where can we find you on shit? What do you want to plug? Uh, uh, what's your social security number? Oh, uh, my list of fears. Uh, so if you want to find me pretty much on Twitch, Instagram, Twitter, I have the name at the Miles Luna. I wish I had noticed how pretentious it was when I locked that down in my early 20s, but hey, that's the hand I chose. So yeah, you can find me at the Miles Luna. Uh, as for stuff I want to plug, uh, uh, there's a new season of Ruby that you can watch on Rooster Teeth. And then also, uh, I got to give a shout out. This has been the year of great podcasts. And I do want to give a shout out uh, to my girlfriend's podcast called What? W-U-T. 
Uh, she does it with our good friend Chelsea, and it's essentially grown-up show-and-tell where they bring something that is like bizarre and wild and do a, a quick little deep dive on a story that's designed to make you go, wait, what? So yeah, I don't know if it's cool to promote another podcast on a podcast. Oh, it's very cool. Both Ellie and Chelsea are some of my favorite people in the world, uh, obviously, because I'm in a relationship with one of them. But genuinely, I think it's an extremely fun podcast and you learn just wild stuff uh, and it's very fun. And I love you both. And this has been great. Thank you so much. <laughs> Late Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Knight, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Knight, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com.